Hello and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we're going to talk about consulting versus coaching. I can't wait to see where we go with this one. <laughs> Same here. But first, we've got a little bit of housekeeping for you, dear listener. It's we're, As we're recording this, it is approaching the end of 2022. And normally we take a two-week break, but this year we're going to, uh, the plan is that we're going to put out a couple of uh, bonus episodes so that you won't have to go without TBOA. God forbid. We would not want you to be TBOA-less. Exactly. How could how could you be expected to persevere? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so stay tuned for that. That'll be upcoming on our regular release schedule on Monday mornings. Uh, and then we'll be back, back and better than ever with uh, a, a, yes, a beginning of the year reset for everybody. All right. But the topic for today, consulting versus coaching. So this this was a question that came in from one of my private coaching students who was wondering about my how I transitioned from the mobile consulting business to the business coaching business and sort of how long it took, but really what were the differences? And as we were talking about it, the there were there are a lot is a lot of differences in mm-hmm. of course in the delivery because you're selling a different thing, but even in the the marketing course, uh, sales isn't that different. Well, I get, no, it is actually. No, it, it so is. Everything's different. Everything is different. You wouldn't think so. You would think it's, oh, I'm an expert and I'm delivering a service. It should be the same, but right. it's not. Yeah. And the yeah. thing that strikes me about it is even though in my case, at least in both, in my case, both businesses were technically B2B, you know, I'm, uh, yeah. you know in the past I was selling to owners, CEOs, managing directors, senior vice presidents, you know, and they, they, it was a business sale. And now I'm selling to people who run their own business, but it's mostly soloists. Uh, and it feels, it, it looks and smells like a B2C type of engagement. Because it's their money. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's what it is. It feels more, it's, it's a decision that is a solo decision right? Mm -hmm. I decide on my own to hire a coach. Typically, maybe I talk to my spouse or partner, but I do that. And then the money comes right out of my pocket. That's true. And there's another thing, which is that it's a little bit, pretty much all cases, it feels much more like in Joe Pine terms from the, the, the experience economy, it feels a lot more like a transformation that you're selling and where, where, you know, with the, the coaching that I do, it feels more like you're transforming the buyer into thinking a new way. So like the product is the buyer in a sense. And the in, in the, the mobile consulting, that was never the case. Never, ever. I mean, occasionally that would be like, oh, you need to be, you know, think about mobile first, not last. But, but that was really like, you weren't transforming the buyer or really anybody at the client. I mean, you might have been educating them a little bit, but it was not about changing their minds or anything. It was more like, you know, here's a, a roadmap for, or an architecture for a mobile solution that will work on a cruise ship, you know, with no internet. It, you weren't transforming anyone. Uh, if any, if, if at the most I was helping the business transform or pivot or modernize or something like that, but it was, it was more about the business than the people where, where now coaching is 100% about the people, even though that has really strong follow-on effects 
in the business. It's really more about changing the mindset. Well, you know, in the in the pre-talk, um, we were talking about a spectrum, and that's really. And again, as I'm listening to you, that's that's exactly how I see it. Because when I was doing, you know, big firm consulting, you could argue it was about the business, but. I was delivering transformations. I was doing M&A work, taking a bunch of people who didn't like each other and trying to create a viable business out of it or really helping them to create a viable business out of it. So that's why I think it's such a spectrum kind of a thing because there's you know, really, really technical consultants who are the world's expert at what they do. And they're like the guru on the mountaintop. Right. And companies, it's like CEOs, come to them and say, what do I do, oh master? What do I do in this situation? <laughs> You're like the, you know, the pediatric neurosurgeon. Right. There are, and that's like one end of the spectrum. And I guess the other one might be a, a life coach who, you know, is hired truly um, B2C, right? A, a right. true B2C versus sort of a masquerading, a B2B that masquerades as B2C. Or, yeah. Yeah. So you have those opposite ends of the spectrum. And then there's so many points in between. And I think, you know, the question that came from your client, what's so interesting about it is like a lot of it, I bet, depends on where they are right now in the spectrum mm-hmm. and how they want to move. Like, do you want to get, you move more toward coaching without actually putting the coach label on you. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah. And like, not to speak to that specifically, but to, about me, I was very sort of technical from a consulting standpoint. I was not like when you were doing M&A, which is like probably just fraught with all sorts of soft skill relationship insanity. Drama. Uh, drama. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, mine was generally never dramatic in that way. It was much more like I was sort of the, the pre- Having not read Flawless Consulting by Peter Block, I was definitely like, uh, here's how you do this. Do it or don't. I don't care. Like, but this is how you do it. (laughs) A little Uh, to the left on the spectrum. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You can say that again. And and, and, in truth, I did care when they didn't do it, but I I never spent much effort trying to get them to do it, if you know what I mean. Or or I certainly didn't didn't care enough to get them to do it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, because you like, could have decided I'm going to learn how to do this and figure out how to teach them this. But right. Yeah. And that was you a big inspiration for me to, to kind of, that was one reason why I was getting increasingly dissatisfied with the mobile consulting space was that it was a high percentage of people who would call me in to do a presentation to a board or something like that. And they would just, and to this day, years later, have done diddly with that yeah. information. It's very, it's, uh, it's, it is frustrating, but not to the point where, like you said, I I tried to skill up and approach it in a more collaborative way instead of a you know me handing down stone tablets from on high. Yeah, because that is a model, and there's a lot of people that want that model, and there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, you can be that guru, and there are people who just really suck at the day-to-day change level kind of work. And so don't do that, you know, focus on being the guy or the gal up at the top of the mountain with a tablet. That's the point is that there are so many points on the spectrum that you can be the person you want to be and provide the services that you want to provide at any point on the spectrum. That's why I love this stuff, consulting, Mm -hmm. coaching. Yeah, there's so many choices. Yes. And okay, and so some of the other, some other part of my answer uh, from to the student when I was describing my transition from one to the other was that the 
business model, this might not be the same way you use the term business model. It might be money model, or I think you call it. Revenue um, model. Revenue model. Yeah. It, it's very different. And for me, there was sort of, this might be interesting to listen or I hope, um, but in the consulting space, if I was still doing consulting, I would probably have the same revenue model still. I might have, I probably would have, I certainly would have picked a different focus area in terms of the technology, but the the revenue model would probably be the same and the and the marketing would probably be the same where I would be the, the classic cons, you know, consultant, speaker, author or whatever order you want to put them in. And I would write books about the new thing every 12 to 18 months. And then I would go to conferences and talk about what was in the book. And then people wearing ties would come running up to me afterwards and <laughs> give me their cards and say, we need to talk. And and that that model is that seems like the classic model for like a, a solo consultant with kind of a horizontal specialization mm -hmm. uh, and then and once those once i got those business cards it would be value pricing either it would be uh, i think there'd be three different offerings i'd have sort of my product ladder one would be some kind of strategic engagement a very short you know half day type of thing that looked like either an internal talk or some kind of some kind of um, di paid diagnostic with recommendations, you know, so like, so some kind of a roadmap, and there, perhaps I would be, perhaps I would do project, probably not, but certainly that would be something that someone like that would do. And those would be value priced every single time. And, uh, and then I would, and I would do certainly do what I was doing back then I would continue to do which was having monthly advisory retainers which are not value priced and they were just at a price on my website and people could sign up and we'd be off to the races so those three things if someone came to me today and was like oh I'm a expert at uh, I don't know um, MySQL optimization or something you know it's like I've written a book on it it's very popular uh, I speak at all these conferences and I'm billing by the hour, I would, I would immediately explore those three things on a product ladder. It'd be like, mm -hmm. it'd be like some kind of paid diagnostic road mapping thingy, some kind of value price project work and some kind of uh, monthly advisory retainer. And that would probably be it, maybe a course, but, but probably not because they're probably you know, not. Yeah. Yeah. And they'd have a small number of clients every year. There'd be like two or three, maybe four and that would be enough for them to do, you know, mid five, six figures. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of a whale model, not the whale where you have one whale, but you have a handful of whales and then they go to another ocean when mm -hmm. you're done and new ones come in. Right. Right. Yeah. So compared that to now so that, you know, there's a whole conversation to be had around transitioning from one to the other, but I don't know how interesting that is. But the just to contrast now, you know, I I started with a lot of one-on-one -on -one coaching clients. That was sort of my kickoff into it, which was most similar to the previous model. So I kind of took, took you know, baby steps because it was like a small number, relatively small number of people pay, paying me a relatively high amount of money. Uh, but over time, I, I wanted to move away from that because it doesn't serve my mission. And I needed to, you know, doing one-to-one, -one, you know, I couldn't, I'm not going to rid the world of hourly billing one person at a time. So, all right, so how do I amplify the message? How do I spread it to more people more quickly? And that starts to look like stuff that I, highly unlikely that I ever would have done in my consulting model, you know, info products, workshops, co you know, cohort-based workshops, 
membership community. I never would have made a membership community in the consulting world. Yeah. I mean, maybe a mastermind, but that would almost, but probably not. No. And, you know, so it, it looks a lot more B2C. It's like the kind of stuff that, I don't know, like a personal finance coach would create as their product ladder, you know, like a Marie Forleo or Susie Orman or however you say her name. It's like that sort of stuff. It's, it just feels to me, it feels you need to act more like a media company than like a consultant and get the message out. And, and you've got like much lower price points, but sold to, to way more people like 10 yes. or a hundred times more people. Yeah. It's, so it's a very, different kind very different. of leverage. Right. And so to me, people have heard me talk about this forever and ever. Amen. Uh, especially, I think, I think these days, especially post COVID, the one-two punch of having a podcast and a mailing list for that kind of a sale is is tough to beat in terms of bang for the buck. Uh, so that's very different. I, I don't think I would have done that back in the mobile consulting days. You know, I, I I had some clients listen to a tech podcast I had, but it was more like it was more like a conversation starter than anything useful for them. Yeah. I could see that you would do a podcast with that kind of an audience, a, you know, podcasts, you know, consulting, um, writing, speaking and podcasts is, you know, the demonstration of the speaking. So, so if we think about the, um, the spectrum, so you were, if we see consulting's on the left and coaching is on the right. So you were, um, maybe, you know, a third from the left <laughs> it's pretty far I mean, left. Yeah. yeah, I was like, feel feel free to argue, you know. No, but, I was pretty far left. Yeah, but not not as far as you could have been. I mean, I feel like there was still some stuff in there because you were talking about the future. You weren't getting like super technical about a topic and you must do this, you must do this, you must do this. You were speculating about right. the future. And so that's a little, that's sort of like the Oracle kind of model. And it's a little bit different. So I wouldn't put that as far left as somebody who, like a guy I used to work with who was, the world's, or at least the U.S., expert on um, compensation consulting to partnerships. Hmm. So, I mean, that's, and he, and he was like, he was like really super technical, didn't want to talk about anything that wasn't about his thing. So he would be like far left. So I might take you like maybe a third of the way mm -hmm. to the right from there. And then I think I'd put myself in my, cons my full consulting days in the middle and the reason for that was this philosophy I had was that the answer wasn't in me. The answer was in the client. And my job was to get the answer out. And so I worked with um, groups of people. I did work one-on-one, -on -one, you know, sometimes, but it was really more of how do we get a group of people to do something? And I would speak with the leader of the group as an wow. example. So it was that it was consulting. It was uh, some facilitation. Right. Uh, it wasn't coaching. It was definitely consulting, but it wasn't the traditional, I am the expert and I will tell you why I'm right and you will do as I say. It was not that. Because <laughs> if you've ever put like warring families in the same room and tried to get them to come out to agreement, it's sort of like that, except it's mm -hmm. their job and their livelihood. So yeah, so I, I was kind of in the middle. Yeah, that's a great distinction. It, the answer is not in you; it's in them. That well, that was not my case. That the answer was in me, or yeah. you know, I'm still predicting the future. But the answer is definitely not in the client. Yeah, and as you move from left to right on this spectrum, 
the more another way to look at it i never thought about it quite this way but the is the more the answer is in them the more you're moving towards coaching and mm-hmm. this is not about putting a label on it it's just about understanding how you work best or how you want to work and i like for me you know i, I was in in the middle and i in big firms and i moved a little bit to the left when i went out on my own because i felt like at the time i felt like i had to have that you know that expertise that knowledge like i felt like i needed to be much more forceful about it mm-hmm. but since then i've clearly moved um much more to the right in terms of of coaching no one will mistake me for a life coach um <laughs> but i'm definitely not in the middle anymore right well you're a little more woo-woo than me so maybe a little bit <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm further right than you are on this particular spectrum <laughs> <laughs> a little bit and, and so it's funny like you know we're getting to the end of the year i'm thinking about you know what's going to be my you know looking back not to change the subject but looking back over my strategy for 2022 and I, I you know it's right as we're recording this it's December 6 and there's a couple of big things that aren't quite done yet that I'm going to do my darndest to sneak in by the end of the year should be should be doable uh, so that I can kind of start 2023 clean with my my new the next strategy after you know 2022 mm-hmm. is automation uh, and and I've got a new one for 2023 Ooh. That will build that builds on top of the fact that I have all this stuff automated, assuming I mm. do actually finish it. And uh, okay, so if if I look even farther than that, it's like the direction is. It feels like a. a, a it's really hard for me to imagine ever reversing direction on that spectrum. Like I, the only direction, the only thing that makes sense to me at this point in time would be to continue to the right. Mm-hmm to because it just feels like that's there's actually there are a couple of reasons there are a couple of reasons why continuing to go to the right makes the most sense to me one of them being increased impact because you get into the you get into the squishier tougher to uh, tougher to handle topics like how do i know when to quit this thing that i've been doing like that's a brutal that's really Mm -hmm. hard yeah um or stuff like like okay yeah i understand value pricing but i can't bring myself to, to say this number out loud i can't even yeah. get bring myself to say it so like money mindset stuff mindset yeah right so I, I can see myself i feel like i've mapped out a lot of the technical territory and f- for my area of, of focus and now it gets to like okay now what are the new bottlenecks like the the first bottlenecks are people like just don't even know there's a way to do it besides hourly billing so what are the different ways like oh here are these different ways all right great uh can't make myself do it now what and then it's like all right so it's like a new bottleneck and so that Mm -hmm. to me that's the the frontier of my current business is getting deeper into those uh those blockers that are preventing the transformation because what like in and it's really a personal transformation. The business is so t- cl- closely tied to the solo yeah. owner that it's kind of one and the same. And how do I, tr- you know, I don't see myself going into ever going into like personal finance guru type stuff. It's always it's always going to be business owners and and something that's directly for the business. But um, but yeah, I, I point being, it seems like a trajectory that pretty much is a one way street. I don't know. You could you could argue maybe that some people do go. You went a little bit the other way, but uh, anyway. So that's that trajectory. I think at least for me is just going to keep going in that direction. 
that well that makes sense to me i mean i i'm not going to try to talk you out of that it it feels logical and it feels like you know it's, it's like moving up the value chain that we talk about and i had moved to the left a little bit when i first started this business which would have been 2007 um, because I didn't know what it was like to market myself as a solo. And then once I figured that out, I went, I went back to my natural habitat. <laughs> um, but then for me, it's what I love about coaching is, is the transformation. It's like, they're just, I, I did huge transformations of or large organizations, primarily spinoffs, you know, the big company that said, you know, we want to take this group out and spin them off into something new. And I love that challenge of taking people who had done one thing and helping them to figure out a new thing with a strategy. Um, you know, and that was really fun. But I got tired of watching some CEOs in particular mess it up. <laughs> like just do stupid, selfish, very public things. And it was like, you know what? I just, not, I don't care about that anymore. It's just not where I want to spend my time. And so gradually over the course of years, I keep moving further and further right. And so now, you know, my greatest joy is when somebody gets a new level. And sometimes that's money. Sometimes it's a belief um, you know, like doubling your prices and, and you do it, even though you're afraid to say it to the new client, you do it anyway, and then you get it. <laughs> it's like <laughs> that watching that dawn on people or finding, you know, a deeper niche that exactly fits what they want. I mean, watching those transformations, I mean, that's, that's all I want. Mm, yeah. It's the best. Yeah. 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 Nice, it's nice like being a midwife. Good. <laughs> you know, with, without all the gore, right? It's just, it's taking them from here to there. Did I just say that? I think yes. I just did. Sometimes yeah. it gets pretty bloody. Yeah. The, I have, uh, there are two different channels that serve in my Slack rooms that serve this kind of purpose to like feed me that, that satisfaction. One's called your aha moments, which is really just a person like, like, you know, everybody in Ditcherville's pretty much everybody in Ditcherville's been on my list for years, listen to the podcast all the time. And they hear me say the same things over and over from different directions. I hear you say the same things over and over from different directions. And then finally it's like, Oh, it clicks. And they're like, I know I've heard you say this a thousand times, but you said it a little differently this time. And all of a sudden it clicked. And that, so I, I just love those because yeah. they're so visceral to the, the, the reader or the listener. It's like, Oh, I finally, yeah, I knew there was something there and I've been scratching at it and scratching at it and scratching at it. And I just couldn't, didn't, didn't click. But then when it, I love it when it clicks because that tends to have a, a ratchet effect, a no turning back effect mm -hmm. where they're like, they can't yeah. unsee it. They can't like, once they see yeah. the light, they can't unsee it. And then the other channel is the winds channel where, where once, you know, it usually is downstream of the, of the, the aha moment, but they'll, you know, it'll just be like, you know, someone the other day said something like, you know, I, I know I've been hearing you say like niche down, niche down, niche down. And then, f you know, for whatever reason, this time I thought, I thought, oh, what if I, what if I take my, you know, her, her existing focus and she just added a modifier to it, you know, so it was, so it was much mm -hmm. more specific. And she said, and as soon as I did that, I had a thousand ideas for a mailing list. I could never, I have enough mm. topics to never run out i know exactly who i should call i know exactly who i should partner with and it was just that one little 
niche down one level and all of a sudden it just boom opened up this huge door and then you know to me that's a huge win and then the the but like the there are also plenty of like you know I did I used your three option proposal template and I really swung for the fence with option three in hopes that they'd buy option two and they bought option three <laughs> and it's like Ugh. yeah, yeah it, I mean yeah. it's just huge that's life-altering you know, yeah. when you when you just you put a price on there that you're just laughing at and you're like, oh, that's I'm just anchoring high with that. And then they're like, yeah, let's do that. <laughs> here's here's 100 percent up front. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you know, it's just like it's huge. It's huge. Well, you know, I want to throw a little bit of a monkey wrench maybe into this. I was just thinking about people who sometimes say that they want to move. They may not use these words, but they want to move closer to coaching than consulting. Mm-hmm. And um advisory retainers. I mean, we have lots of people who are, and that sort of feels like coaching. It usually isn't. It's usually, you know, you're advising them based on your area of expertise and what you know about their business and their vision and their goals. But that advisory is another thing that where you can start to straddle the difference between classic consulting where you're doing and classic coaching where you are, you know, you're in there, what's the word? I, I don't want to say advising because it's a little bit different, but you're, you're in there having these regular conversations and having impact on a day-to-day basis with your clients. Right. So that, that's, I, I think that the way that I describe the difference, that difference to people is like the advisory thing is a little bit more like, um, not exactly. So I don't want to, don't, don't take this too literally, but it's a little bit more like having a mentor or like someone who's like a family friend that you, that you would call to ask a question periodically, but not, but they're not like a coach. A coach shows up at five in the morning with you to get out on the water and row, mm-hmm. or at least, at least be in the boat while you're rowing, you know, and get you out of yeah. bed and, you know, to, to push it to an extreme, <laughs> they'll drag you out of bed. They'll put you in the boat. They'll get you on the lake and they're yelling at you from the side. And like they're I'm sorry, I can't get you. Joe Jacoby out of my head as you're yeah, saying that's that. Yeah, that's what I'm picturing, right? <laughs> or like Goggins, if, for anybody who knows who that is. So, so yeah, so it's you're just way more in it, but you're not doing the thing. So like if you're, uh, if you want a great example of the difference here, you can like go back and listen to our episode with Joe Pine. I don't remember what number it was, but uh, there's about two thirds of the way through. He tells a story about his golf pro who he was paying by yeah. lesson. And then he just floated the idea of, of switching it from an experience type of purchase to a transformation type of purchase where he, he paid half, like he paid, you know, almost nothing for the actual lessons, but if the coach could get Joe down to a single digit handicap, he'd pay him $5,000. So it's sort of like a bonus, conting- mm-hmm. sort of like a contingency fee bonus type of uh, performance bonus. And and the, the sort of calculus in the golf pro's mind switched from I show up here. I mean, he was a coach in both, in both cases, I would call it a coach, but it's two points on the coaching spectrum where the, you know, $35 a lesson or whatever it was, they both show up. They're on the course. The it's one to one. The 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 pro is giving tips, watching, you know, bringing their expertise to bear. But at the end of the thirty minutes, it's over. Versus, so that's one point on the mm-hmm. coaching spectrum. But like you know, uh, if it was going to be this different, if he had switched the pricing model, then the coach would have been probably uh, 
making sure that he showed up. He'd probably be teaching him how to play the course, not just talking about his swing and trying to hit farther, but it'd be like, you know, course management techniques, diet, exercise, like everything, like, like, you know, uh, and, and really it's much more, it's, uh, intimate's too strong, but it's much more personal and it can affect coaching can reach into lots of different areas that for me, consulting never did. It was just never that invasive. Like consulting was never remotely invasive. For yours, it sounds like it probably was a little bit. Well, yes and no. I mean, it was in the sense of, you know, if I'm facilitating, I'd call people out on their stuff. So there was that. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I didn't ask the kinds of questions that I do in my coaching intake about, you know, what's your what's your vision for your life like right and, and, and earnings yeah. what, what do you want to make right how yeah. do you want to live what's the you know what are these experiences that you've had yeah you, I would never have gone that deep and maybe after I really got to know somebody over the years plural maybe but yeah it's it, it is it's different and there there are coaches who don't get all that intimate so it again it's it's a spectrum it depends on what you want to deliver and and you'll probably move over time as you see what works and what doesn't. Maybe you're a little bit more removed and you start to see, oh, gee, maybe I should ask them about this, even though it makes me uncomfortable. And then you start to do that and you're like, whoa, when I did that, the coaching outcome was so much better. I guess maybe I need to get more comfortable with that. Maybe I'll get some more training around it or I'll try it and experiment some more. So yeah, it's it's like this, you know, it, it's the way you described it. It's this march right, in this case, towards coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe you go in the opposite direction, too. Maybe you, you try coaching, you say, yeah, you know what? I like this a little bit more to the left. Mm-hmm. Like this a little bit right. more structured. Yeah, there's, there's something I want to call out there that you touched on. You know, we started much earlier, we were saying how like the marketing and sales for a coaching person consulting business are very different uh but also the skill sets that that you bring to bear are probably different too mm, right yeah. so just like you said so you might want to get better at um i don't know just to pick something you know leading or not not leading questions like open-ended questions uh, or who knows mm-hmm. like all those yeah. sort of communication skills that w- that help you find the answer in the other person's mind. Like the, the answer is not in my yes. head, it's in their head. So how do I ask? It's kind of like the why conversation. It's like, how do I ask this in a way that will unlock or uncover the underlying motivation for the project? But it's it's a similar kind of thing where you the language that you use to ask questions or the, that you use to communicate becomes really important. You know, mm-hmm. even, even more important. It's not just, it's not a mere communication of facts. It's like- No, it's the opposite. Yeah, it's almost like um, it's more. It's almost not quite like a therapist, but it it's it has hints of that. Where you know you're you're not trying to be. So for, speaking for myself, you know, I'm talking to someone, and it's like I'm not trying. I try and be way less prescriptive than I used to be. Way less. Mm-hmm. And it's much more like, well, what's what's going to work in this scenario? Like I can give best practices all day long, but that doesn't mean they're going to work for every scenario. They certainly won't. And so the value of doing any kind of like one-on-one or, or live coaching is that you can understand the specific context and pull in the tools that make sense for the, the 
specific case because there's nuances to everything. And I do find that the language that you, that I have to use or that I use now that I didn't use before is much more interrogative and mm -hmm. exploratory and less prescriptive. And you shouldn't do that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I probably said should like every other word when I was on the left-hand side of the spectrum because I because in and in, in fact, I think that was a really big weakness of mine was that I over broadly applied best practices in in specific cases. Like I can think of of one particular Fortune 50 client that I really could have done a better job with if I had been less draconian about like no you're doing it wrong and more like curious why you know you just like yeah. find out why they're air quotes yeah. doing it wrong like why is it so important to you to do this in this way that is clearly uh, going to decrease your odds of the success that you told me you want so you want this success and you're instructing your team to do something that is going to make it less likely to happen so instead of like understanding what the motivation was there and unpacking all that and figuring out all the politics because it was a huge organization mm -hmm. it was just like look do whatever you want but that's yeah. wrong <laughs> yeah <laughs> just just do this do what i told you yeah and just you'll be go fine. like this right like why aren't you listening to me this cost a fortune yeah. Well, you know, there's a there's a skill set to becoming a consultant um, that I call synthesis. I can't remember if that's in the block book or not. Um, but the idea of synthesis is a really good consultant is taking all of this data in, like the stuff that's happening at company A and your knowledge base, the things that people are telling you, the things you're observing, and you're pulling all these things together and you're synthesizing them in a way that the client can understand it. And then you give them three choices, right? That's like the classic consulting model. And so usually consultants are really rewarded for synthesis. And it's something that can be dangerous in coaching. It can also be hugely helpful. I use it I think to my client's advantage um, because what synthesis allows you to do even in coaching is to take all of these different things and present them to the client not that they are right just that they are your observations right. and then and you share that and maybe they disagree with some things and you talk those through or they go they have an aha moment when you're able to do that. And you do it in instead of when consulting, where you're probably doing it in one big moment where you're presenting your report. Right. With coaching, you're probably doing it in many small moments. So like part of that that spectrum is how you like to work. I mean, because there's nothing wrong with being the person who wants to take all these facts and 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 even feelings about what's happening inside an organization and your observation and pulling that together into a prescriptive how-to. Mm -hmm. You can make a lot of money doing that. Yeah. Nothing wrong with it, right? But it is a very specific kind of business model that you build to do that. Mm -hmm. And I think if I remember, I don't remember if you said it on the episode or our pre-chat, but this was a question about, I want to move more towards coaching because I like that business model. I think I could do that without having as many uh, employees or contractors or complications that right. I have in my current life now. Yeah, it's very different. It's very different um, in ways that are you know, obvious once you've done it, but maybe not so obvious from the outside. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, um, 
It's great. (laughs) (laughs) I know that's the problem. Like anybody who's like, I want to stop coaching and want to start consulting. They're like, I'm not getting anything out of this episode. What? (laughs) Yeah. I don't, I don't know anybody that's gone in that direction, but well, I I'm think sure that they're out there. Some, some would describe it that way. They might not they, they might not say, oh, I'm moving towards consulting. But they might start out doing lots of very kind of retail, what I think of as a retail sale, you know, yeah, B2C. Yeah, I think of it the same way. Yep. And then they start to go, you know what, I need to look at this differently. I need to really think about this as a business. I need to grow. Like I think about like a Marie Forleo. I don't think she has a retail business at all. I think mm-hmm. she has a very you know, thoughtful business put together. Um, she's got a team of people, you know, it's so it's, it is she far to the right on coaching? Probably not. She's, I'd say she probably pulled herself in. I don't know, just judging from a distance. Mm-hmm. So I think it comes with maybe people want to codify their business practices and make it a little bit more formal than, oh, I'm hanging my shingle. I'm a coach. Sure. But again, but- that's a, it's a process, right? You do that as you develop. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Like t- there's, they think there's all there are different ways to scale up a coaching business, but she, you wouldn't call her a consultant, though. No, no, definitely not. Yeah. So it it feels like I'd be interested to hear if if people know folks who have gone from. It just feels like decreasing the altitude, right? So like, why would you decrease the altitude? I guess if you tried it and you just really didn't like it, you'd go back from more of a coaching thing to more of a consulting thing where it's maybe a little more impersonal, maybe a little less invasive. Um, Well, there's also executive coaching, which can kind of be a blend of both in terms of, you know, you're you're selling, often you're selling to big corporates. I'm talking about, you know, executive coaching for say, you know, Fortune 500 style companies. mm -hmm. And usually those relationships are vetted by somebody in either OD or HR. So you get presented with a slate of say three coaches and you have conversations with you, the executive, you have conversations with each of them. Then you pick the one that you like the best, Mm -hmm. but all the coaches are inculcated with the vision of the organization, the sort of the personality of that department, the general goals for coaching. So it's, it, it does tend to look a little bit more like consulting when you think of it at the high level, but when you're one to one with the person, it's coaching, right? You're not consulting, you're coaching. Yeah. Yeah. That does feel, that does feel like a hybrid. And I could imagine someone, a soloist, like, you know, like me, for example, just going after bigger and bigger uh, CEOs of bigger and bigger firms. Mm-hmm. Like I have no interest in doing that, but that would be a growth yeah. path. Yeah, that would be one way to go. Right. Hmm. Interesting. So yeah. not not for everyone, but it, I I when I was the what am I trying to say? When the question was posed, I was like, huh, I haven't thought about this explicitly. But I have noticed a lot of things over the course of the transition. So it was it was sort of fun to think it through and kind of describe it on the fly to him and then also talk it out with you here. So hopefully it was useful to someone in the audience. Well, yeah. And I think, you know, the other thing we didn't talk about, and then I know you were trying to end it, but I think there's just one more thing. <laughs> I can't believe I'm the one extending it, but I think there's just one more thing, which uh-huh. is the, um, the how you work with clients was really my mind boggling because in consulting you're you know you're doing the work right even if you're a strategist you're still doing the work and you're presenting it when you're coaching 
You don't do the work. You don't do any of the work. The client does all of the work. And it feels weird at first, right? Because mm-hmm. you're like, oh, well, so let's let's work on your let's work on your brand. So I'm not going to sit there and like do the research and figure it out. So I have to translate from from that to having your client get enough information, not too much, you know, they don't want to be overwhelmed to go and do that work to gather what they need to make some of these big decisions. And so it's it is a different way of working. And I, I just I personally, I love that because it's really interesting and everybody does it a little differently and it's kind of fun to see what works with people. Um, but it's, it again, it's you're moving away from being very prescriptive in the work and how you work to being much more flexible and open and meeting people where they are. Yes, that's very, yes. I, that is my experience precisely. Cool. All right. Anything else? Are we? I kind of want to toy with you, like I'm going to continue again, but no, that's it. <laughs> I'm done. Uh, well, that's a good way to end 2022, I suppose. Uh, but but keep your ears peeled, folks. There'll be a couple of bonus episodes coming out in the next couple of weeks, and then we'll be back in 2023 to talk about plans for the year. How's that? Awesome. Great. All right, folks. That's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And we hope you join us again next time for the Business of Authority. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.